0: Welcome into the Grace Point Daily Podcast. My name is Jeremiah Johnson. This is season two, episode number 13. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to be talking about stirring it up. Well, we're so grateful to have you on the Grace Point Daily Podcast. It's been a minute, right? We've had stuff going on busy in our local church here, but thank you for listening all across the world to the Grace Point Daily Podcast. We exist to bring you daily encouragement for your daily walk with Christ. I'm going to do this one solo today. No Rick Maynard, no Grace Point with Greg and Kelly, just good old Jeremiah Johnson in front of a hot microphone speaking some encouragement into your life, right? So we're going to talk about Stir It Up. Before I get into that, I want to encourage you like, share, subscribe, send us a message, support our podcast. Come on, be a part of the Grace Point Daily, nation, community, etc., whatever. We just want to encourage you each and every day in your walk with Christ. So today I want to talk about Stir It Up, and it comes from this verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5-7. to 7. I'm going to read it out of the voice version. It says, What strikes me most is how natural and sincere your faith is. I'm convinced that the same faith that dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice abides in you as well. This is why I write to remind you to stir up the gift of God that was conveyed to you when I laid my hands upon you. You see, God did not give us a cowardly spirit, but a powerful, loving, and disciplined spirit. You know, I was at a pastor's Bible study, prayer time the other day when they read that verse. And and I guess if you're a pastor, you probably read that one a time or two, or it's, it's somewhat familiar, right? But it just captured me. And I wanted to dive deeper into that. And I'm going to do that with you today on this podcast. And the first thing I noticed as I was reading through that scripture is how he talked about the faith of the grandmother, Lois, and the mother, Eunice. And I was like, man, he must have came, Timothy must have came from a very godly, good heritage, for Paul to mention this, to say, wow, I'm convinced that the same faith that dwelt in your grandmother and your mother abides in you as well. And I'll be honest, as a pastor today, I see the opposite of that a lot of times. I will see a grandmother in the church who really loves the Lord and uh, sometimes a mother, a, a father, a grandfather, etc. And I don't see the kids and I don't see the grandkids in church. And I was like, man, here this amazing person of faith Here is at my church, whether it be grandmother or et cetera, right? You get what I'm saying? And here they are right in front of me, but where are their heritage? Where's the generations below them? Where is that same faith? And that's scary for all of us, right? Especially for me, I have four kids, and my hope, my prayer is that all of them will serve Jesus, not just be a Christian, but really they'll be radical disciples of Jesus Christ. And so that's scary because I'm like, Lord, how can I do this? How can I help them to have a faith that is powerful, effective, that is natural and sincere, just like this scripture says? So that's the question I'm going to start off with. How do we effectively pass down our faith? I'm a father. You might be listening. You're a father, a mother, grandma, grandpa, etc. How do we effectively pass down our faith. And here's the first thing. The first word that is is on me, this is going to fall on me, it's going to fall on you in your role, is that we are going to have to model. We are going to have to model faith. Because you know what? The reality is, is that they will most likely become like us. Now, I want to give you a good example, and I want to give you a bad example of my dad and my grandpa. Now, I don't want to throw them under the bus because they're not horrible people, evil, anything like that. I'm going to use a couple examples. I'm going to start off with a good one first before I throw them under the bus. Anyway, my grandpa's dead now, so geez, throw my dead grandpa under the bus. But all right, here's the good one, is that my dad and my grandpa were hard workers. The one thing that I appreciate that I value now that I'm Older, I'm a 40 year old man now, is that I can look at their life and say, wow, you know, those guys were good workers. I, you know, they never um, needed help. They, they were never beggars. They didn't, weren't begging for money. They worked hard. They earned their keep. They were good workers. They, they did a good job. If they did a job, they would, complete it. They would show up on time, et cetera, et cetera. And so I feel like I am a good worker in my life now. Okay. Whether or not I'm a great pastor, et cetera, great speaker. But I do believe I'm a good worker and I can be a hard worker. And I always go back to my times when I was working part time jobs, a couple jobs working for Domino's, Pizza, (laughs) Papa John's, that I was employee of the month at all those places. And part of the reason I want employee a month, because I was a good worker, showed up time, did what did what they wanted me to do. All right. So you will I mean hopefully your father, your grandfather, your parents set a good work example for you. And I bet you, you know what, because they modeled that for you, I bet you the odds are is that you are probably a pretty good worker too. And I've seen this before, whether church, other friends, that if the parent or the grandparent, if they're probably pretty good workers, there's going to be a high probability or a good chance they're going to be a good worker. So, Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Grandpa Johnson, for being a hard worker and a good example and modeling for that for me as well, okay? Here's the bat, all right? (laughs) Now where I throw them under the bus is that my dad and grandpa owned a hardware store. And in that hardware store, they know how to do a little bit of everything. They had sheet cutting metal machines. They uh, worked on sold refrigerators, washers, dryers, all these kind of things. And here I am today, a 40-year-old man that is a loser because I don't know how to do Mostly any of that stuff. Not a great carpenter. They had carpenter stuff. I mean, fixing things, cars. They worked on cars. And I do all of those things rather poorly, okay? Because you know what? They did those things. I saw them, but they didn't really model. They didn't disciple me. They didn't show me how to do that stuff. So I want to tell you guys, if we want our children, our grandchildren to follow the Lord, we are going to have to model what a sincere and natural faith looks like for them. Let me read a couple of scriptures. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, He who walks as a companion with wise men will be wise, but the companions of conceited, dull-witted fools are fools themselves and will experience Harm. So, guess what? When you bring that person, whether it be someone who's not your family, but you bring them alongside you and you model before them wisdom, hard work, sincere faith, what that is, guess what? Most likely they're going to become like you and they're going to follow the model or the example that they have for you. Here's another one Titus chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 out of the Amplified says, In all things, show yourself to be an example of good works with purity and doctrine, having the strictest regard for integrity and truth, dignified, sound, and beyond reproach in instruction, so that the uh, opponent of the faith will be shamed, having nothing bad to say about us. And I love how in that scripture, it talks about being a good example in all these areas, in your works, in your doctrine, in your character, in your instruction, and all of these things. Because guess what? When you live that kind of life, then no one can say anything bad about you and you're a reproach to the enemy, to the devil that's trying to take you out. We need to be a good example, a good model. That's how we can effectively pass down our faith. The second one is through experience, all right? And if, if our kids and our grandkids, if people who are following us in general, are going to have a sincere natural faith, hopefully that we're exemplifying, that we're modeling, then they're they going to not only have to model that, watch our model, watch our discipleship, our example, but they're going to have to experience it. Here's what I'm getting at, is that I see a lot of people that their parents, their grandparents are followers of Jesus, great people, um, and they've experienced God. They had their moments and their seasons of revival and encountering God, their salvation experience when they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized in water. Uh, they have all these experiences for them but now their kids and their grandkids have never had that experience. And faith without encounter and without experience just becomes religion and becomes dull and and uneventful. So here's what I see again as a pastor in a local church is that I see some people who have never experienced what they believe, what they sing about, what they talk about, what they hear preached, they've never experienced that before. So guess what? If our generations below us are going to follow Jesus radically, they themselves are going to have to encounter and experience Jesus on their own. Psalm 1611 says, You will show me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Why did I read that one? Is because I want my kids, I want the people I pastored to know that the Jesus journey, as I like to call it a lot, is one that is to be experienced. It's supposed to be encountered. When we talk about the love of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the healing of God, the salvation of God, those are things that are truths, but yet those are truths that we should experience and encounter. And that's what I want. I don't want to just tell my little sons who are five years old fictional Bible stories. I want them to experience The truths of those stories, not just like, yay, cute little David and Goliath, something that will never happen in your life. I want them to know that, listen, what we're reading, this God that we talk about, sing about, preach about, the God I'm modeling before you, you can experience him, amen? And I believe when our students, when the generations below us, I'll just keep making that specific reference, that when they experience Jesus, there is nothing more that they will want in this life. Somebody say amen. All right. Exodus 33, 14. And the Lord said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest by bringing you and the people into the promised land. I just read that one because I want you to know that, hey, once again, God's presence goes with us, is in us, is working through us. And uh, when, when we can grab hold of that and when we can get people to experience, now I mean, that's only one step. I mean, if you just live on experience alone, you're gonna have a rocky faith. It's gonna be kind of a faith built on sand, if you will. That's just part of this process, but it is very critical to becoming a lifelong follower of Jesus is that you live and that you experience him each and every day. You know, I'm going to give an example. I'll give all the praise to my wife, Pastor Rachel, but I just wrote this in my notes. The best thing that we've done as parents is make missions not just a priority, but an experience for our family. As a pastor, one of the things I have to talk about is missions because we have a missions program. We give money to missionaries. We love missions. We love seeing the missionaries come in and talk about the countries and the people groups that we're going to, etc. But I, I want... I wanted my children to not just hear about missions or hear about me doing missions. I wanted them to experience missions for themselves. And so, my girls, they have been to Mexico, and my boys, they've been to Mexico. They've been to Haiti. They have been to South Africa. They have been to Kenya. Uh, They have been to Lesotho. Forget one. Anyway, they've been in multiple countries now. Jamaica, that's the one I forgot. They have been in multiple countries now seeing poverty, doing the work of God, praying, preaching, doing all these things. They have experienced God in multiple settings, and I believe that that is something that's really going to stick and hold into their lives. So I'm encouraging you today. If our generations below us are going to have a faith like the grandma, like the mom, then that, guess what? The first thing, we're going to have to model. And then the second thing is that they are going to have to have an, a legitimate encounter with Jesus themselves. And the third thing is relationship. Matthew eleven nineteen says, "'The Son of Man came eating and drinking with others, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, including non-observant Jews, yet wisdom is justified and vindicated by her deeds in the lives of those who respond to me.'" It's about, what is this all about, guys? Come on, those of you that have a faith, those, uh, you grandparents that have a faith, you parents that have a faith in Jesus, this is uh, is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Bottom line, period, end of story. That's what we want to communicate to the generations below us, to our sons and to our daughters, to our grandchildren, that not only are we modeling a faith for them, that we want them to experience and to encounter for themselves, but what is the one thing? that we want them to experience. What is the one thing that we want them to have for the rest of their life? It's a relationship with Jesus. You know, this grandmother and mother uh, that we're reading about here, going back to the names Lois and Eunice, they had all these things. They were modeling faith to other people. Uh, They were, experiencing they had experienced jesus themselves and they were helping other people to experience him and finally that they had a relationship with him so there's a few thoughts for you you can add more to the list if you want to or not whatever it might be but let's get um, our kids and our grandkids into this state of mind that we are modeling that we're helping them to experience Uh, Jesus and in a relationship with him. Can my kids and grandchildren see I have a relationship with Jesus? I wrote that down in my notes. Can they see that you have a relationship with Jesus? Because that makes all the difference in the world. Let me give another example Kind of good and bad, and if you will. Now, I picked on my Grandpa Johnson, threw him under the bus there, (laughs) but he was a great guy. I loved him. I grew up with him, was at his house every day, lived across the street from him, and that was my dad's dad, Grandpa Johnson. Uh, And then I had another, my mom's dad. His name was Grandpa Bring, Grandma and Grandpa Bring. And what's interesting for them is we lived in a different town and we would see them occasionally, but not that often. And I can honestly say this a little bit sad is that I don't feel like I ever really had a relationship with him, a deep relationship. That is, I mean, my grandma, Grandpa Johnson, man, I love them. I love them so much. I spent time with them, but for my other set of grandparents, I never really had a relationship with them. It was distant. It was, uh, and guess what? When you don't have a relationship with them, there's not a love. There's not a strength there. And what am I trying to say is that I believe that there's some people that, that have this peripheral kind of relationship with God, that they don't have this real relationship, this daily interaction with him, and that's not a real love relationship at all, all right? So that was the first thing that really struck me in this passage of Scripture is the faith of this grandmother and this mother. But then the second thing that really grabbed me was the word remind yourself, that they're like, hey, you need to remind yourself of, of your faith and what's going on here in your life. So how do I do that? How do I remind myself? All right. And I began to process, you know, steps here. All right. How do I remind myself? How do I do that? And the first thing I put in my notes here is that one way that you can remind yourself to fan up, to stir up this faith, to remind yourself of your gift, of your calling, of your relationship, of who you are in Christ, is to build an altar. Genesis 31, 48 says, Laban said, this mound of stones is a witness, a reminder of the oath taken today between you and me. Therefore, he also called the name Gilead." Now, that isn't necessarily spiritual. And you're like, well, what does it have to do with anything? Well, I just use that one simple example is that one thing that they would continually do, Abraham and others in the Bible, is that they would build altars over and over again, what did those altars do? They reminded them of experience, of encounter, of interaction with God, with other people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right? And I preached a message one time called "Everyone Needs a Pile of Rocks." Basically, everyone because that's all they were. It was just. Rocks, right? (laughs) Everyone needs an altar where we continue to remember what God did, what God did, and what He is calling us to do. And that's the important thing, not getting stuck in the past, because for Abraham, those altars, it, it was about what God did in that moment, but it was also about what God was propelling him to and the calling that God had for his life. Second thing, how do I keep reminding myself? I keep giving, I keep serving. Numbers chapter 10, verse 10, and the Amplified Bible says, also in the day of rejoicing in the in your appointed feast at the beginning of your, your months, you shall sound the trumpet over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifice of your peace offerings. And they shall be a reminder of you before your God. Remember that? A reminder of you. I am the Lord your God. You know what? We keep serving. We keep giving. It reminds us of what we're doing. On Sunday, we talked about, what do I do with my money? We talked about, Ties a little bit. We talk about giving to the Lord. And you know what? Again, I'm not afraid to say this. Listen, when you give money to the Lord, when you give your tithe, when you give your offering, you know what? It reminds you that God's the focus of your life. It reminds you of your faith and what your life is about and your purposes and your desires and your passions that they are supposed to be primarily of God. When I'm serving in the life of the church, man, talking about missions again, when I go on a missions trip It reminds me of my purpose and my calling and my faith and what my life is supposed to be about. Amen. And then here's the third one. Keep reading the word. All right. The word reminds us of who we are, what we're supposed to be, the life that we're called to live. Second Peter three one says, beloved, I'm now writing you this second letter in this as in the first one. I'm stirring up your untainted mind to remind you. You know what? That's why Paul wrote all these letters. That's why we have a New Testament. He was reminding the church to keep their faith alive, to keep active, and to keep serving God. And then finally in this passage, which I'm going to kind of end on, is stir up the gift. All right, here's a here's an example. Okay, give, give me space. Give me freedom for a second here. Uh, this is a very just worldly example, all right? One of my least favorite things in the world is getting coals started for a barbecue and then keeping them where I want them to be. All right. Praise God for the gas grill. All right. <laughs> now, I do believe charcoal is the best. It tastes better if you can pull that off. If you are the an expert in that field <laughs> of cooking, all right. But man, I stink at it. I hate, I hate goals because there's really two issues that I have when I try to barbecue. Number one is I always use too much gas. Because here's the thing with coals, they're meant to kind of like to light on fire and then and then kind of stir a little kind of little by little uh, start heating up and then they become lightly coated or uh, uh, grayish and and, you know the the heat intensifies increases and you hit that sweet spot and then you slap the hot dogs, the burgers, steak on whatever, right? But I'm kind of like, and it usually takes like an hour, which really annoys me to get the coals really, really going well, hour, hour and a half. And I just throw a lot of gas on there. And then I want them to be like instant coals, right? And then I keep pouring more gas and it just becomes a horrible mess, right? And secondly, <laughs> is that not enough time? I, I, I don't have the patience to wait to keep stirring up, you know, to wait for those coals to get in the right spot. All right, what in the heck am I talking about right now? Where are you going, Pastor Jeremiah? All right, it, it, as you read through that scripture that we read through, it, it, there, it, there was a little side note in my Bible that said, in ancient times, embers were kept slowly burning so that they could be fanned into flames when a fire was needed. And this is what the scriptures talk talking about, fan into flame, because they would have these embers, these coals, right, that were slowly burning. But when the time came for them to be used, they would fan them into a flame that they would heat up for their intended purpose so that they could cook, they could sacrifice, whatever that they would do. All right. God's gift of faith is like a flame. And when the embers of the fire have cooled, you must fan them again and keep them ablaze. And this is where I want to go with this as well is remember the Jesus journey is a process. And how many of you that have lived for Jesus any amount of time know there, know, know that there comes moments, seasons, times where we have to fan the flame. And not let those coals die out, not let the embers come to a complete stop. We have to fan into flame. And another note that I saw as I was looking through some of these study materials was that secondly, is that uh, made the note that faith has to be exercised. You know, we have to exercise our faith. And I began to think another of a human example. This one, not as dorky of one, but a little bit more scientific and serious. I began to think of the human muscles. And I found a couple examples that were interesting. Uh, reading this article says, when muscle and bone tissue are not used, they will begin to shrink and waste away, known as atrophy. Atrophy, any, uh, even minor, is in muscle or bone can cause some loss of strength and motion. Some atrophy can normally occur as people age. There are two types of atrophy in muscles. The most common is disuse atrophy, which occurs when people do not use their muscles enough. It can be reversed by establishing better diet and exercise habits. Second is neurogenic atrophy is more severe. It occurs when there is a disease or injury to a nerve connected to the muscle. Unlike disuse atrophy, which can occur slowly over time, neurogenic atrophy can occur suddenly. And I think we're probably victim to the first in terms of spiritual life or faith is that we stop using, we stop exercising, we stop using our muscles. And when we stop doing that, you know what happens? The embers, the fire dies out, we grow weak, uh, we, we lose everything. We begin to lose strength, we begin to lose motion in our spiritual life. So don't let spiritual atrophy grab hold of your life. And the only way that you can keep doing that is fan the flame. And so I was looking at this word atrophy and I'm like, "Well, how do you recover from that?" I mean, is it I mean, once you get muscle atrophy, is it over? Are you dead? Is I mean, is is the case sealed? And here's the the rebuttal or the response that I found is the first thing was practice patience and start slowly. I want to tell you something and I'm really serious about this one. You cannot get the fire back in one magic prayer. Some of you if you let the embers die down too low, What we do then is we kind of run to church and like, okay, say the real fast Jesus prayer. Microwave Jesus prayer. All right, cool. The fire's back. Listen, it's going to take some time to build those muscles back up, to to get back to where you need to be. So if you have let spiritual atrophy set in it's going to take some time to rebuild all that muscles your physical therapist uh, may here's a second when your physical therapist may recommend resistance bands to regain strength before proceeding to free weights or other exercise regimens all right here's what i put in my notes start resisting the things that brought you to this place of apathy so if you're in a place of apathy a place where the embers have died here's what you need to do you need to start working out again you know, build the muscle back up with patience and consistency. But then the second thing you need to do is practice resistance. What is the thing that brought you to the place of spiritual atrophy? What brought you to that place where the embers were dying out? Resist that. Stop doing that. Do the opposite. And then finally, change what you have or have not been consuming spiritually. So then they go on to talk about diet, right? Consult with your physician about your protein needs, et cetera, et cetera change your diet like what what have you been consuming in your spiritual life that has probably brought you that place of spiritual atrophy all right so there we go here's my conclusion when the flame is burn when the flame is burning the byproduct is power love and discipline so guys stir it up again let's stir it up let's let, let's not let the flame die out. Let's not let, let's not let the embers go out. All right. So there it is. That's my thoughts for you today. I want you guys to keep stirring it up because I want you to live each and every day for Jesus. That's what this podcast is about. But that's what a relationship with Jesus is all about doing it each and every day. Thanks, guys. Hope you enjoyed the Grace Point Daily podcast. Connect with us. We'll talk to you next time.